There isn't a business today whose feet is not being held to the fire over budget constraints. Investment recovery can be the secret weapon you need to succeed. In this episode, we're going to chat about how IR helps get budgets under control, keeps things out of the landfill, and can even give you hero status amongst your coworkers. You won't want to miss this. You are listening to I Need This Gone Tomorrow, a podcast by Material Management Resources. MMR is a full-service investment recovery firm serving a variety of industries, including oil and gas and utilities. On this podcast, we talk all about investment recovery, which is more than an afterthought. It can actually become a strategic advantage and a differentiator if it's handled properly. This podcast is about how you and your company can leverage investment recovery in your projects. My guests today are Stacy Elliott and Kevin Graham. Welcome everyone and thank you for being here. Today we're talking about the very foundation of why you guys decided to do this podcast in the first place and the very reason that MMR exists, the benefit of investment recovery. So let me start off with a simple question. How do you guys help a project manager recognize the value of investment recovery? How do you help them prepare for it? Candace, when a project manager has got his project commissioned, he wants to move on to the next project. He's always got something left over, and we need to identify that, maintain the inventories of it and the papers, the material test reports, that sort of thing, so that we can effectively market it and it makes it worth a whole lot more, especially if it's sold right at the end of the project. If it ends up getting stuck in a warehouse for five, 10 years, it's not worth near as much as if they go ahead and and get rid of it and then they don't pay to store it. So Stacy, can we talk about carrying costs? Can you help us understand that? Yeah, carrying costs. The carrying costs are essentially the cost of owning that equipment and for carrying that equipment. So if if this widget costs $1,000, well, there's a cost to have it on the shelf, a cost to move it, a cost to maintain that equipment. And so those are carrying costs. And a cost of money for cost. the money that's tied up in that asset that you're not able to use for something else or that you're paying interest on at the bank. Mm-hmm. So yeah. literally, these things are sitting idle. Right. Okay. Right. So that's where timeliness come in, comes into factor again. You, you need to get rid of those things in a timely manner. Once you deem them surplus to your, your business's needs, you want to maintain them correctly. You want to dispose of them correctly. So carrying costs is one of those things that should always be looked at. And then also the space in the warehouse. I think we've seen, we've seen warehouses that are at you know, 100% capacity. Well, clear that shelf. We need mm-hmm. room for this next project because you need to make sure that that our clients can continue to run. And what about logistics? Logistics is, is and I think it's over the years it's gotten more expensive, hasn't it? Um, the cost to truck something mm-hmm. right, is very expensive. And so a lot of the times when we sell something, um, I'll give an example. I think we had a client who had a very large motor. And when I say a large motor, I mean you know the size of a small house. Uh, so you can imagine a lar- very large truck trucking that down the road. So those costs are... 2000 up to $5,000 to move that piece of equipment. Mm-hmm. And so that's one of the things we help our clients. We can, we can sell that. 
we can um, move it one time instead of twice. You can imagine how you can save money really quickly. Like, like moving a couch around the living room, but different? Exactly. Like much bigger. Big scale. <laughs> With cranes and big equipment. <laughs> cranes and That's big equipment stuff. that weighs a lot, right? <laughs> I bet you that there are some project managers listening to this podcast right now who got up this morning really wanting to do a good job. And from what I understand in project management, that means two primary things, being timely with their project and staying under budget. Can you give us a few headlines about how investment recovery can help with? Well, we can't necessarily help their timing so much, although we can assist in getting things off-site and out of their way. Uh, one of the biggest projects that you know, we see are called turnarounds. Okay. And they go in and they'll take a unit down and change things out. Mm-hmm. And it might be costing them $100,000 an hour for every hour that unit is down. And so the timeliness really kicks in. We had a project where they came in and they were $300,000 over budget. We sold $700,000 worth of stuff between scrap and used equipment that came out. So now they're you know, $400,000 under budget. That, um, That's a you know, big those swing. kind of numbers can, you know, and I mean, that was a year and a half project. Mm-hmm. That wasn't a week, but. We're helping them to get their budget where it needs to be sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also it sounds like anything that slows down the operation itself has a very high opportunity cost. So in investment recovery, I've heard you guys talk about the way that you help a client not have to do things twice or not have to unravel something that went wrong. Can you give us an example of that? Well, coming like if they're bringing out a tower, have the buyer's truck on site when they come out with the tower. So they're setting it down on the buyer's truck rather than having to set it down over out of the way and then come back and load it again. Right. Um, It's one of the big the big things are having pallets there for them to set valves on or motors or pumps when they're taking them out and expedite getting them off site and getting them sold. Right. Okay. And you guys help clients think that through all the time. And Yes, ma'am. I, I think those project managers, they're not always looking at that end, right? And that's what we specialize in. So they're looking at how do I get these valves that I need in the time I need them. But we're mm-hmm. looking ahead because we know that sometimes they buy 110% of what they need. And, and they, use about 103% of it. Exactly. Yeah. So we, you, we, you can plan for this. We know this is going to happen. Right. So that's where we help. We help well, them and get then, that ball So they've got 7% payment. surplus, but then they've got all the valves that came out that they replaced. Right. That something has to be done with those two, and that can add value to the project. Right. And it seems to me, just by nature of project management, that person is looking at the overall operation at the overall unit, if you will, you guys have a very uh, blinders on expertise that you deal with all the time. Well, yes, but I hate to use the blinders on because the most important thing that we do is keep a safe project. Okay. So I, I don't like the blinders analogy Okay. We've got to keep our eyes wide open for everything going on, okay. but we are directly focused on helping them get rid of their surplus. Yeah, and that way is we we have to keep an eye on the entire project as well, from beginning to middle. 
to end. And so we, we, we can help them inventory. We can help them take pictures, all these things that they aren't thinking about. We're mm-hmm. helping at every stage of it. So in the end, everything runs smoother and, and timely. So tell me about, you touched on, there was a lot of passion in your response when it came to keeping a job safe. Yes, ma'am. Tell me, tell me a little bit about MMR's uh, approach to that and how it helps a project manager. Safety is always our number one priority. So our priorities are safety, timing, and then recovery. So it doesn't matter what we get for something if somebody gets hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't directly control the contractors, but we can help get stuff cleared out so you know the, the site is easier to work around and move around and get the stuff back out of the way. Safety and scrap, we're in the scrap business too, right? We're in surplus and scrap. And so scrapping is one of the most dangerous things that you can do out there, actually. Can you explain why? There's so many things that could be done wrong. We could probably do a whole podcast on what not to do when you scrap (laughs) things, right? So you learn from things, and that's why we've gotten really good at it. But what could happen, right? A hydraulic hose could come free, and then you've got no no capability there. Um, Imagine you're throwing big valves, and you're throwing pieces of pipe and heavy stuff into um, a bin. Mm -hmm. Um, And most of the time, those bins are eight feet tall, um, so there's just so many things that could go wrong. So you just have to be really careful. And obviously people are not allowed to get in those bins. Right. right? Let's <laughs> call that not. dumpster diving. <laughs> we just don't do that. That's a whole different podcast. Whole I'm different thinking. Podcast. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard you guys talk about numerous benefits for investment recovery. Can you, can you give me the top three? Top three benefits of investment recovery? Mm-hmm. Sustainability. Safety. Safety. Return. And re- yeah. Money to the bottom line. Okay. So let's, uh, let's take those one at a time. Talk to me about sustainability. Well, investment recovery was sustainability before sustainability was cool. It's you want to reuse things. <laughs> You want to keep them in product flow rather than just throwing them away and landfilling them. Yeah, extending the life cycle. Okay. There's so many companies out there that, in businesses that have a sustainability goal, right? Mm-hmm. They want to save things from the landfill. That's been our process for years and years. So this just generally fits right into that sustainability model. How does that save a company money or make a company money? Well, you're paying the landfill. And when you put in another use, generally you're selling it and get cash in rather than cash out. Okay. Just simple as that. I've done a project in the past where so sometimes this was, this was, there's lots of fun ones because I love my job. It's just fun. But <laughs> going, I, had a, I had a project where it was a, an entire building, very large building. I think it fit about 2,000 people. So big workforce in that building. They were going to demo, uh, demolish it. And so... This is where they engaged me very early on in the planning process where you even walk through the demolition with the demolition contractors. And so you get to you get to work early on and say, okay, this is what we're going to take out of here before it's demolished. And in the end, the goal ended up being, and this is how we rated this, how many scrap bins or how many trash bins can I fill up? So you think this, this very large building will probably have hundreds of mm-hmm. garbage bins that are all going to go to the landfill. So what we did is we looked at it, what what valuable things can we take out, 
right? What do we want to save from the landfill, whether it's donate it or sell it? So we got it down to 20, 20 bins. Right? So wow. that's the goal. So imagine how much does it cost to take something to the landfill? And also, ethically, we want to save right. it from the landfill. So right. it's fun. That's very cool. And it sounds like you really enjoy the, huh, how are we going to, and what might we do here? Yeah, and it's fun. Let's talk about safety. Specifically for a project manager, how does that, how does your worrying about that or taking care of that for them help them do their job more effectively? Safety is everybody's responsibility, and we have to fit that in. Um, and think about that. So whether we're doing site visits for potential buyers looking at things, or we're loading trucks and getting it out, or we're securing material on trucks, or we're properly making sure we've got a lift plan in place when they're coming in with a crane. Safety is the lens we look at every single thing we do through. Both for the company, for anybody that you bring on, everybody. Yes. Awesome. One of our expertise levels, I think, is just loading safely. I've seen some thing on things on Beltway 8 that I'd say were not <laughs> loaded un- by MMR. Some unsafe <laughs> loading. It's scary when you're driving down and you see a truck up there and it's like, and especially if I'm not driving, my wife's driving, it's like, okay, you see that truck up there? We're going to give them room and move. So that might come off. Let's, <laughs> let's get over and yeah. around. Yeah. I mean, so your the, point of um, view about it, when you're when you're just out in the world seeing yeah. things, you go to a store, you drive around town, you got to be seeing things with a different set of eyes than most people. Well, you see people <laughs> at a sporting store and they're climbing up on a ladder and reaching over to get something and they've got customers walking around underneath them and don't have things blockaded and it gets it do gets we, scary. And we step in. Yeah. I, I've, yeah, been, I've been that. known to say, wait a minute, you need to, or, or actually I become the barricade and say, wait a minute, let's, let's <laughs> stop and, and let him get that down before you walk under him. Yeah, when he's yeah. put, you know, this ice chest or whatever that's up and yeah, it's not that heavy, but you know, if it falls and hits you in the head, it's going to hurt. Yeah. So just having that lens on all the time for everything we look at. That's great. We've gone 25 years without having a reportable safety incident for MMR. Our workman's comp reports are completely clean. In the industry that you're in, that is astounding. And there are opportunities. <laughs> there are opportunities. You try climbing up top of a pumping unit to get some. <laughs> just grab you something. Just you have to, you don't you have don't to do be that. careful in everything you're doing. <laughs> yes, right. understood. And also, I would imagine that as an outside vendor, you're setting an example for the people who are working at the company. Everything you do uh, is something that they might learn from or pay attention to. So that's great. Yeah. And everybody watches out for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's on a job. Anybody's got the right to say, stop. This isn't safe. Mm-hmm. And we take that very seriously. Okay, what about return? When you're looking at putting something in the landfill versus selling it. And, you know, we try to get as close to book value on stuff as we can. Typically, it's been in service for 10 to 40 years before we get it. So, you know, 
getting a return for it. We always look at, you know, what the scrap rate is, and that's the floor. It's, you know, if it goes into scrap win and it's worth $10,000. Um, what is it worth if it's reconditioned? Yeah, what is it worth if it's reconditioned? What's it going to take to get it out in in a workable fashion versus taking, you know, a hydraulic shear and just going in and cutting the stuff up? We bring that expertise, so we know, we yeah. know what it's worth. And sometimes somebody just, what is that saying? One man's trash is another, another man's, man's treasure. treasure. I worked on a project where we had a turbine. And this turbine had been in service for 30 plus years. So it was pretty old. And several people had told me that is a boat anchor. It is nothing more than a very big boat anchor. Well, you know, I just didn't believe it. And so, because we have this innate goal to save something from landfill. Mm-hmm. To to reuse it for its intended purpose, and so there's there's still life left in it, right? It's not ready for the grave yet, right. and so that's another thing we we specialize in. We specialize in, is it close to end of life? We do the appraisal on it. Can oh. it be put back in service? And so the story ended that it wasn't a boat anchor. <laughs> we found someone that wanted to refurbish this and saved money, so we sold it. It got refurbished. It got put back into service, and it's still living. And we saved the customers a lot of money. How exciting. Yeah, it was fun. How successful an investment recovery are people who have lots of other responsibilities? There are a lot of our clients that have um, another job, right? So 90% of their time is spent on this other job, and mm-hmm. maybe 10% is handling surplus and investment recovery. Mm-hmm. So that's Except where that we 90% is usually closer to 110%, and we're just throwing <laughs> so this we, on the top. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. they really need our help. So that's where we help them make the process really smooth and follow the steps. Can you give me a sense of what it is that they're leaving on the table? Any example of that? Some of our clients have some big investment recovery budgets. So we help their bottom line. We get them there. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a, somebody will come in with, a stack of hundred dollar bills and say, you know, I'll take those tubes off your hands. <laughs> and, you know, they'll offer a thousand dollars for fifteen thousand dollars worth of brass tubes. And we know if, how to deal with those people. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've learned. Yeah. But um, you know, the guy, oh, that sounds like a good idea. Because they just want it done. Yeah. They want it gone tomorrow. They want it gone wow. and they said, you know, <laughs> We won't charge you for putting a scrap bin here. How many times have you heard that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. when a scrap bin leaves, it's usually two uh, to $3,000 worth of material leaving it every time it goes. Yeah. So if they offer you pizza for a scrap bin, that's not a good deal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just note to self. <laughs> How does who you guys know end up helping your client look good? Well, after 25 years of being in this business, we've got a lot of buyers, and we know people to not deal with. Um, we've got a registered registered (laughs) buyer's club and, you know, we take bids on the website and can see bids from anybody, but, um, not all bids are accepted. We reject, we reserve the right to reject any and all bids and we're not required to take the high bid. And we generally have to explain to our client why we're not, Mm -hmm. but, if we've got somebody that we don't want to do business with, we've got it well-documented why, mm-hmm. and we don't go there. And, and the overall decision always goes back to our clients. They can they have complete control over their yeah. material. 
they yeah. want to sell it, they sell it. If they don't want to sell it, then they don't. Okay. We understand how to move surplus material. And and that's it, that's not um, that doesn't come natural to everybody, especially if you're in the procurement or the warehousing world. You know how to order and you know how to offload something from a vendor's truck. Um, but we know how to move it out, right? how mm-hmm. to move out a full truckload of surplus. Um, it, you'd think it's the same. It's mm-hmm. absolutely not the same, right? So we help them through that. We know we know. So we know logistical partners. We know how to truck. We know how to load. We know how to do it safely. Um, so in addition to our buyers, mm-hmm. there's other things. There's so many steps. I think that that we know that most of the time our clients just look to us for guidance for help. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about when a client started IR on their own and then brought you in mid project. Well, mid project or mid. Um, set up. That's better than the end. Yeah. And and that can be even they've got an IR up and running or they've been trying to do IR for a while. I mean, everybody's got surplus. They've all gone through things to try to get rid of it. Um, one client had terminated more than 10 people for improperly handling surplus disposals. Mm-hmm. Um, Expect the what, how not to do it. Yeah. Right. And just not following the controls. Mm-hmm. And you'd think they'd know not to take $100 bills from the guy with the truck for the tubes. But, you know, it looked like a good idea at the time. And so they bring us in. And in almost all cases, it's the client's controls that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. We're just helping standardize them. And we're the ones taking care of doing the sale, and so they know to come to us, and we know how to follow the rules. Right. But it's you also know, an audit and a checks and balance system. Well. So someone like us can look at it from the outside and yeah. say, mm-hmm. maybe let's do it this way. And then Yeah, we have, we have a way. couple of CPAs on staff, and we know what <laughs> audits look like. And, <laughs> you know, one of our goals is to keep, keep the clients out of audit jail. We had a project in Washington, not D.C., Washington State, um, and I was brought in pretty, pretty towards the end. I think saying the middle was probably was probably giving them a little bit too much credit. I think it was the end. <laughs> and so you come into the end, and they say, "Well, this is what I've got, and it's a pile of stuff, and this is the inventory that I have." Well, the inventory doesn't match the pile of stuff. <laughs> so this is what we kind of you probably had an inventory of the purchase order of when yeah. it all came in yeah, to start exactly. with. Exactly. So that's why it's really hard. It's really it's so much better to get it at the beginning so I can say, yep, this was actually taken and used, and this was installed into operations instead of, you can imagine, right? It's like Deconstructing a grocery list. it, you right. Get, no. So it really it would have been a lot better in that situation. Um, so in, in that material test requirements, you know, MTRs are not there. These are all things that are really important to maintaining this equipment. And so if you know this early on in the project, then you can – Un, you know, fix that knotted up ball yarn. It doesn't get <laughs> knotted up. Let's just like go from beginning to end. And if you involve us, we can help mm-hmm. and, and make life easier. So they ordered this widget, and that widget came with documents X, Y, Z. Um, if they don't know where those are at, that makes it a little bit harder. You're gonna get a less. You're gonna get a, a return that's much smaller than what it could have been. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why you engage us early. 
But the result of that project in Washington was um, we cleaned up their yard. They did get some money returned. In the end, they could have got more if they would have maintained an inventory or helped us or let us let us help them maintain that inventory. Mm-hmm. So it was cleaned up, and the operation could keep running, and they can use to get that space back. So it's all too often, it's it's more about, hey, before the next turnaround, I need this area clean. Mm-hmm. I need to lay down an area clean again. So it's, it's sometimes it's always in a hurry, too. Yeah. Well, because instead of getting us right when the first turnaround's over, they wait until stuff is coming in for the next turnaround mm-hmm. to decide they need the space. So, you know, it can be 18 to 36 months between turnarounds. And, you know, if we get the stuff in month two and three instead of month 33 and 34, the you stuff's a worth lot. a lot more, but you've got a little more time to move. And you're, you're not on the time crunch of, you know, if we don't like the bids, we can hold it and go out again versus we got to take whatever we get because mm-hmm. it's got to be out of here by next week. Okay. Because yep. they want it gone tomorrow. <laughs> I was, was going to try to add that in, too. Oh, sorry. Well, go ahead. It could be more than once. <laughs> Approvals and endorsements are pivotal to the success or failure for investment recovery in any project. The process for a project manager to get the permissions they need, can you give me an example of what that process would be? Our process could have approvals at each stage, a very early approval to use services. It could have, um, I think we joke that you could have, you know, dozens of approvals depending on the value of the equipment. Um, if it was a project project material, if it was a turnaround material, if it's operations material. So our process recognizes each of those different scenarios. Mm-hmm. And so it helps them get through this approval as needed um, at this time. It's understanding, again, the controls at the various clients. Yeah, I had, I had a warehouse once that uh, the, it was a, a research and development facility had, had finished their research and development. And so at the end of that, they brought me all this fun stuff. And, and I say fun because one of it looked like a horse treadmill. It, <laughs> it was the weirdest looking thing. And so, in some other, you know, research and development can get some interesting stuff, um, even a snow machine. Um, so you have to test the material. So this, they brought this horse treadmill in um, for lack of what it was, and it sat in my warehouse for a long time um, because we couldn't get approvals. And so that's one of the things we, I think, we walk our clients through that because mm-hmm. all too often people just want to hoard. The things. And maybe I the, might need that someday. I might need. I might need that horse treadmill someday. So I think it sat there for a couple of years, and then finally we got right off. But it's because you know there's a hundred thousand dollars on the books for mm-hmm. that piece of material or that piece of equipment, and so we help. We know. We know. We've done this enough where we know the problems that they're facing. Well, it, it sounds like you work hard to understand each individual company's approval process and what needs to happen and you kind of help a project manager stay ahead of that and anticipate yes we do anytime we take on a new client the first things we have to figure out are what they've got and what does it take to get approval to sell it Mm -hmm. what's their current process and you know is there a current process current process right normally (laughs) they look to us for guidance on that how does it work well with our other clients good and then you help them keep 
ahead of when it has to be done so that there is no work slowdown. Right. Either take the forms they've got and use those or right. modify them somewhat, mm-hmm. get their auditors to approve them up front. Right. That this has got the acceptable information. So when mm-hmm. we're looking at this sale three years down the road, yes, you've got all the, the boxes checked and all the signatures you need to legitimately have sold it. To get it done. I think of, uh, there was an analogy that I used. I think it was in Six Sigma training or Lean, Lean Six Sigma training. And the analogy was, if you're looking at a, if you're looking from the outside, so there's a whirlwind and there's people that are caught up in that whirlwind, whether it's the project manager, all of the um, folks that are dealing with that. We look at it from the outside. And so you can kind of slow down what's that craziness that's going on in the middle. You can slow it down and say, okay, this is the steps we need to do and step back. So you mentioned people kind of like to hoard things, save things for a, we don't know when, but I think I might need to use this at some point. Can you tell me a story about when you actually talked someone into selling something that had been hanging around for a good long time? How many hours do we have? (laughs) (laughs) That's always a battle. (laughs) You're really not going to use that. Well, and that's, it's the warehouse guy that wants to save it. And if you can get the engineer. No, it's the engineer that wants to save it, I thought. The warehouse uh, guy wants it out of his warehouse. The engineer wants Well, you get the engineer. to. So would you use that on your next project? Oh, mm. no, I, I want new. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah. it's because it's going to be, he's got the budget money to buy the stuff on his next project and, and doesn't want to, to take the stuff. And so he can be one of our best, you know, but the warehouse, well, I've got it on the books. And so, you know, we'll, we're going to hold it for the next project. And the engineers are like, I'm not putting that on my unit. Yeah, they do want new. Right? Yeah. They don't want to take the chances. And sometimes if those, those bit, if, if that production unit goes down and it costs $100,000 an hour for downtime, no, they're not going to take that. They're going to yeah. buy new. Yeah. So surplus, and people want to say, I will use it. but They're not going to because they want new. Yeah. Oh, I've got one in California right now that it's been there 30 years. And they're going to let it go finally. So how does MMR help project managers keep the ghosts of previous projects from coming back to haunt them? One word is Superfund. Everybody watching this has had or knows something about improperly handling the shutdown or the disposal of something, and they're responsible cradle to grave for handling it, whether it's production platforms out in the Gulf They can be sold to somebody else, but when oil drops to $20 a barrel and that company goes under, EPA and the government is coming back to the original operator and saying, you're the ones that are responsible for taking this out and getting rid of it. This is the RECRA reference. It's a $165 book um, that explains all the rules for hazardous waste disposal and limits and all that sort of stuff. So I go through a class every year, a refresher on this, to make sure that the stuff that we're disposing of 
doesn't come back to haunt somebody because they didn't follow the rules. They put something in a landfill that should have been in a hazardous landfill. Mm-hmm. Well, and they've so. got their environmental people that are on site and anything that really gets to be questionable, we call them mm-hmm. and then they handle it under, because you know, all of these sites are what they call large quantity generators. And they follow under a special set of rules in here for large quantity generators for hazardous waste. And they've got all kinds of manifests and everything else that have to be done properly. It's the small sites that end up wanting to get rid of something that is over one of the limits in the book and makes them a large quantity generator. And it raises the bar for all of the stuff they have to do and report. And For all future. Yes. Wow. That's just some of the ghosts that can come back that they have to deal with. Uh, afterwards or when, when that's happened or they've taken, um, the term is norm. It's mm-hmm. naturally occurring radioactive material. And mm-hmm. what it ends up is it's, it's scale in pipe or it's uh, refractory brick in some of the vessels that they have at refineries. Mm-hmm. But it's radioactive. And there are mm-hmm. very specific rules on what you have to do to clean that up. And the radioactive stuff has to go to a hazardous waste. But you can clean the ski aisle off the pipe, and then the pipe's okay to sell. You just have to dispose of the scale rather than having to put all the pipe in the hazardous waste. Mm-hmm. And So often or, we take that we take that cleaned. What do you call that yeah. when you hydroblast it? Hydro clean it. Yeah. Um, we take that pipe and we sell it and we keep it in. Same thing with asbestos. A lot of pipelines are coming out that are, you know, 40 years plus, and they've got asbestos tar and coat wrap on them that have been Mm -hmm. buried for 40 years. And asbestos is a great insulator and, you know, was used in Navy ships and everything else, but it causes respiratory problems. Mm -hmm. And so as it comes out, they didn't make them go back. So buildings have had to go back and clean out the asbestos because you've got people in them. Buried pipelines, we're still seeing those come out with asbestos on them. So anytime a pipeline's coming out of the ground, you know, we say, okay, we need to get that tested and make sure that it's not asbestos or if it is, it goes to an approved site to to clean the material off and handle it properly. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I can summarize what we've been talking about today. Number one, plan for surplus. Everybody has it. Not everybody knows what to do with it. Number two, maintain material documents and inventories. Number three, identify assets as surplus to the operation's needs and do that in a timely manner. Number four, obtaining management approvals will ensure a timely return. Wow, Candace, you really paid attention. (laughs) Thank you. Okay. I would like to thank our guests today, Stacy and Kevin. Thank you for being here. To learn more about material management resources and how we can help you responsibly handle surplus materials, visit us online at materialmg.com.